1: And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. Good morning. I got one thing to say. Oh, no. You're out. That's it? Yeah. You probably welcome that. Are you firing me? No. Oh, you're not that lucky, dude. Damn
2: it. Yeah. I thought I was out.
1: I just wanted to yell that because that is what you would commonly hear an umpire say after today's guest would come in and shut the game down. The closer is here. Yeah. I'm a closer. <laughs> Different kind, (laughs) but both are valuable in any business. Well, with us today, I I mean, I've got so many different things that I could introduce today's guests with. We'll just start with Jeff Montgomery. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. Uh, I appreciate you coming in. So I'll I'll get through this list. Jeff, you are, well, you played baseball in the major leagues for 13 years, 12 with the Royals. You've been on three all-star teams in 1993. I believe you led the league in saves and won a Aids relief award. How do you spell relief? uh m-o-n-t no. <laughs> yeah. so with that you're also in the royals hall of fame and for any kansas city royals fan we grew up
0: with you uh being a part of the team i mean over a decade and thanks that was always fun well I, it was a lot of fun doing it and i i wish i were still doing it be honest people said how long do you want to play i said till i'm 88 if mother nature will allow but unfortunately i made it to age 38 that's a long career for for baseball but but with that you've um, done quite a few
1: things as an entrepreneur and today we're going to talk about uh, the business of being an, an, an entrepreneur athlete and you are currently a Fox Baseball Analyst and the VP of Digital at Union Broadcasting. Is this also
0: correct? That is correct. I've got a list of stuff. I, I Maybe we'll just save something for later. But What is Union Broadcasting? It's uh, Sports Radio 810 okay. primarily, but we also have uh, stations in Louisville, Kentucky. We have three stations there, and we actually have three stations here in Kansas City, ESPN-KC. Okay. So, yeah, it's just— uh, So what know, are all the stations here? ESPN-Kansas City, which is a simulcast on a FM station as well as a small AM station, and then Sports Radio 810 is okay. our, our, our bigger station here in Kansas City that covers um, basically 44,000 square miles. So we are what we call the power of sports because we have the largest sports radio station in the United States. I learned interesting stuff about AM
1: radio and we'll save that for a little bit, but, um, we always like to get into a business or an entrepreneur's backstory. And I think that to set the, um, to set the stage, can we maybe just go back to you becoming a professional athlete? Cause I believe that professional athletes are entrepreneurs. Like uh, now I don't know if you were drafted right out of high school or college or something, but at some point you register to be selected in the draft and you are basically presenting your pitch deck to investors at that point and saying, Hey, this is what I have to offer. Are you buying this
2: team to invest in me?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it is so like, you know, we don't have to spend the whole episode on that, but I think that that's an interesting subject because you're a private contractor at that point.
0: You essentially are, and I wanted to play be a baseball player uh, from the time I can remember back in my life. You know, first grade, second grade, you fill out the thing. What do you want to do when you grow up? I always wanted to be a baseball player, and uh, was fortunate enough to play through high school. Eventually, uh, went to Marshall University, played three years at Marshall University, and they were not great years. They weren't brilliant years at Marshall. Uh, My freshman year probably was my best season. Uh, However, after my junior year, which was a, a, a poor season for me. Coincidentally, I threw two really good games, the last two games of the season, and there were scouts at the game to watch players on the other teams, and they recognized me. Uh, A few weeks later, I was invited to a tryout camp in Cincinnati at Riverfront Stadium. A few weeks later, I'm drafted by the Cincinnati Reds, a team I grew up following. Uh, I grew up about 100 miles east of Cincinnati, and it was that's really where my journey started. But it was a big risk. I mean, talking about being entrepreneur. I had a degree in computer science at the time, which was somewhat oh. valuable. Back in the so Matt, you still have hope. Yeah, back in the early '80s, uh, maybe I'll 19- make
2: it to the major leagues.
1: I have your bullpen footage yeah. from the <laughs> Royal Stadium this year. You don't have a shot. No. Sorry, <laughs> right, sorry, Jeff. But I, I, I,
0: I, I, I gambled. I took the chance that. What round were you drafted in? Ninth round. Okay. So, so that's that's the middle that's, round. Yeah. Okay. Middle round guy.
1: But But a uh, a lot of guys get drafted in the ninth round and don't even make a club after, right? I mean, that's not uncommon. It's it's,
0: it's very unusual for a ninth round pick to make it to the major leagues and stay in the major leagues. Sure. A lot of times um, you hear the comment, hey, it's it's easier to make it to the big leagues than it is to stick in the big leagues. And I think that's very true because you have to have a lot of things going for you. One, you have to stay healthy. Two, uh, you have to have some way to endure all of the adjustments and changes that the competition makes against you. So that was one thing that fortunately I was able to do and I was able to stay healthy and you have to have opportunity. I had the opportunity, but, um, uh, you know, that's, that's really the gamble because I know my wife had a degree. I had a degree. And for about the first five years of my minor league career, I never made more than $10,000 a year. Yeah.
1: I was about to say, let's uh, think about that $10,000 a year. And that's, uh, what, that's an eight
0: month of the year job. Four month a year in the minor leagues. It, so, you get paid in the minor leagues, you only get paid from uh you know the four months of the season lasts. Cause so it's a So you don't short get paid season. for
1: spring training. No paying, oh, it's, it's shorter. I see. You. Yeah, it's yeah a I see. shorter
0: season. I and, and I think somebody asked me this the other day, I have my first paycheck and it's you get paid every you know on the on the 1st and the 15th, but my first paycheck was $242 and my 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 monthly salary was $600 per month. So you know, it's not a lot of money. I did get a big signing bonus. So I got a nine thousand dollars signing bonus. A, so that went uh, that went a long way to paying my bills. Nine
1: thousand dollars. That's what a ninth round pick got. Yes. wow
2: But what year was that? Eighty three. Wow. So that's a lot of money. Eighty three. Not really. It not, didn't seem like a lot. No. But the, no. But the
0: bad part was, um, I gave up my senior year of eligibility to, to you know become a professional player. And I had a year of college left, which my scholarship would have paid for. However, at, once I went pro, the scholarship was Gone. null and void. So I had to use that nine thousand dollars for the last two semesters of my education. Oh wow! So um, it was it was spent. So yeah. and and then also, you know, I
1: think a lot of people think of the life of a professional athlete and glitz and glamour, but you're you know here you are, you're making ten thousand dollars a year in the minor leagues, and those and and those low minor leagues that's not exactly a glamorous lifestyle. That's riding pretty dumpy buses and you're not staying. You're you have a roommate and, and at least in the one, hotel, and in maybe the hotel. two or three. It yeah. depends. Yeah. You know,
0: sometimes you have more than one roommate, but yeah, my first season was in Billings, Montana. And mm. uh, it was a pioneer league. We played in Idaho. We played in uh, Montana. We played in uh, Alberta, Canada. So we were traveling on buses. We'd get, a, I, I remember one night we finished a game in Billings. We got on the bus. We, 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 Bus to Calgary. Uh, and then Lethbridge and, uh, Alberta was up there as well. So we, we got on the bus after the game and we pulled into the stadium the next day in time for batting practice. So it was like literally all night travel, you know, and guys were sleeping up in the luggage racks and on the floors and getting these, you know, these little pools, these blow up, uh, you know, mattresses that you, or, or uh, like rafts mattress. that you sleep on. I mean, it was crazy, just all the stuff you do. But you had fun doing it because you <laughs> aspired to eventually make it to the next level and sure. then the next level. And the minor leagues is kind of like a climbing a ladder. they are like essentially five steps to get to the to the major leagues, um, and eventually, and a lot of competition, lots of competition, and and it's like a filter too because a lot of guys get put into the into the funnel and it just gets more narrow as you go along. So the competition gets, you know, much more uh, stiff as well as more and more guys doing exactly what you did. So how long were you in the minor leagues? And- Five seasons.
1: Five seasons. So I often compare baseball and entrepreneurship. Um, they have a lot of similarities. There's a lot of unwritten rules in both. And really what there is is there's a hell of a lot of failure. And that's something that athletes deal with a lot. And uh, everyone, well, there's very few athletes in on the planet that at some point haven't been cut. And uh, and that's a reality. You know, there's kind of bouncing around and kicking around. How did sports and being an athlete get you ready for failure later as an entrepreneur?
0: Well, I think you have to be realistic. You have to have the, uh, the understanding that eventually you're going to play your last game or you're going to uh finish your last business you're going to do something for the last time and you just hope that it's on your terms but i think during the course understanding that failure is part of the game especially when you're talking about sports i will use you know one of my favorite teammates of all time george brett mm-hmm. you know he essentially failed essentially 70% of the time he went to the plate and yep. that's not a that's not a great rate of success for most businesses, but for a baseball player, that's a tremendous, that's, that's a Hall that's of Fame.
1: That's Hall of Fame status, yeah. Right.
0: So yeah. It's, uh, it's very interesting how you have to learn to adjust. And if you can't adjust in, in sports, you will not adjust to failure. I'm talking about you will not last very long because the mental side of the game will just, will, it will break you down. And same with, that I've found in business, you have to be able to adjust and understand that uh, every day is not going to be the best day. You start the day wanting it to be the best day, but it's not going to be that way. And a lot of things that you cannot control will come into play. And I've been primarily involved in, in the radio business. And with regards to that, it's, 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 it's very highly competitive. And the same thing, you have to be ready for the good days as well as the bad days. And and what about coaching and
1: input and feedback? I I actually like hiring our COO at full scale is a former athlete. And, um, it, and I believe that that's helped, he and I communicate, we've worked together on three different companies over 10 years, but the uh, kind of feedback or input or sometimes things are heated and you're just like, you know, like you're in the middle of things and you're not taking it personally. It's just competitive and that's the way things go. Do you think that sports helped in that regard for you?
0: Well, I think, with, with regards to coaches, I think everyone has varying degrees of uh, need for coaching. And I'll use some major league baseball players as an example. A lot of major league baseball players need zero coaching. They really do not need coaching because they have done the things they've needed to do along the way and have had good guidance from their youth days and you know their amateur days as a player all the way up through those minor league days. Once they make it to the major leagues, the coach is really kind of a guy that can kind of monitor where you are Help you deal with failure. Help you deal with those situations, the slumps that you go into, and and try to get you back on track and 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 be on top of the of the mountain again. But without a coach, um, it's much easier to, to to lose that focus. But as far as directing you on what to do on a daily basis, I think most players in the major leagues don't need coaches for that. I think they need it more for the mental side of the game.
1: Okay, sure. So let's fast forward. So now you make the major leagues, and here and
2: here you go. And where, where and where did you start? Did you start with the Royals?
0: I started with the Reds.
2: You did. Okay. Yeah, drafted by did the you one tra- year. Did you get traded? I did.
0: Here? I got traded for a player named Van Snyder. Never heard of him. He had a, That's a good trade. I guess. He, he didn't have many. Uh, he had a little bit of service in the major leagues, but I think he played like maybe a dozen or twenty games or so. Not many. Um, but he was a tremendous potential major league player. He just never lived up to that potential. Matt, can you imagine showing up to work tomorrow and they're like, sorry, you
1: got traded to new relic Oh, (laughs) or whatever? Like Microsoft has picked you up for a player to be named later and cash considerations and a third round pick. Yeah. Or something. (laughs) But I mean, that's a weird, I think that's, that would be interesting. And then, and then by the way, you've got what about a day if it's in the middle of the season, you got about a day to get your shit together and and get get on out to whatever city you live in now. That's exactly, that's what it's all about. <laughs> have no control over it unless you odd. have it
0: unless you have a no trade clause. So,
1: all right. So, and then back to the entrepreneur nature of being an athlete, um, and I think a lot of people don't think about it this way because you're in the business of Jeff Montgomery at that point, and it, any player is. You have things like contract negotiations, extensions bonuses stuff like that i mean do you did you look at it during those years as on an entrepreneurial with an entrepreneurial you know outlook you know because you look looking for that next contract or whatever like how does that
0: work well you're essentially an independent contractor you're going out there and and hopeful that the limited amount of opportunities now keep in mind there are 30 teams when you're in a contract you're only talking with one team when you're a free agent you can talk to 30 teams so Suddenly, uh, the you know, horizon broadens a little bit as far as your opportunities. And I was fortunate. Uh, I always wanted to stay in Kansas City. There were there were a couple of opportunities that uh, free agency presented itself, and uh, both me, my wife, my family decided let's try to make it work here. And the Royals were you know fortunate enough to uh, you know to grant that opportunity and wish to to stay in Kansas City to finish my career. Uh, now, when I was traded to the, to the Royals from the Reds, I had no choice in that. That was just something yeah. that uh, they they called me about a week before spring training and said, hey, you're not going to the Reds camp. You're going to the Royals camp. So uh, that was a tremendous opportunity. I was, even though I grew up a huge Reds fan, it was a tremendous opportunity for me. And mentally, it was a big boost for me to be getting traded to the Royals because I felt like there was going to be an opportunity to play in the major leagues in Kansas City with regards to the opportunities here. I didn't feel and was that
2: eighty
0: three? That, that was in nineteen eighty eight. I was drafted, okay. drafted in eighty three, but going to say spent... it would
2: have been more exciting in eighty three, probably. <laughs> what was your What was your first year in MLB?
0: Nineteen eighty seven. Eighty seven. Yes.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, what was the first year you made the All Star team? Ninety two. So that that's a that's one of those things that I mean, you for entrepreneurs or startup founders, we can uh, we can equate that to. Uh, getting a huge round of funding or perhaps getting accepted into something. I don't know. There's a whole lot of it. But that's a huge validating
2: but, thing. But the but point is you had to survive five years in the minors and then five years in the majors before you got there. It sounds a lot
1: like starting a business, man. You
2: got to kind of go through it's a lot of you work go for through a long some time. mediocrity yeah. on the way for, uh, just to get a shot. That five-year yeah. grind in the minors yeah. has to be the most unglamorous, non-exciting part. It's like owning a business. That there, There's a lot of work that you do. Nobody ever sees that. The you part put I, in the time.
0: that I that I remember is that, you know, I, I mentioned I had my degree in computer science. My wife had her degree in management. And here we are, combined, you know, income of less than $10,000 a year for, for the first five years. My first year in a major league, the minimum salary, I think, was $52,000. Wow. So you were rolling you know, it took me a lot of it took me a lot of years It's, it's you know, i, I it's took that 400 gamble.
1: something now isn't it or is it it's over million, half a million now it is, right? yeah it, it but i it think the average me... salary is like 4 million bucks or something that like right. that right it's in ball park yes that and that, that was that would have been a
0: lot in 1990 oh absolutely Yeah. yeah Nobody made that kind of money in 1990. I
1: remember when George Brett got the $1 million a year contract, and that was like a big deal because yeah. it was like a lifetime thing.
0: Well, there were like uh, Nolan Ryan, and yeah. you know, I know Kirby Puckett and George Brett. There were four or five guys around that same time that kind of broke that barrier. And, you know, I always say thank you to the George Bretts. Uh, I had a chance to uh, talk with Johnny Bench, one of my favorite players growing up, one of the best catchers in. Major League Baseball history. I got a chance to talk to him uh, about a month ago. I was back at my homecoming uh, in Huntington, West Virginia at Marshall University, and Johnny Bench was there part of the homecoming uh, series. And I thanked him. I said, thank you for the sacrifices you made as as a player to give the players who played after you the opportunity to earn what they're worth because I've talked
1: to a lot of athletes uh, that have said that former just guys that have played in the NFL or NBA or whatever and they actually are all very they have expressed express a lot of gratitude for those early stage guys like the original guys in the NFL or whatever I mean they were
2: basically volunteers when you see that now with of... like major league soccer a lot of those guys sure. don't make a lot of money. They right. make hundred grand, hundred fifty grand a year, or something. And yeah. that's just, you got some superstars that right. make three million, four million, five million, whatever. But the vast majority of them, they don't make a whole lot. Right.
1: Okay. So now you're moving on, and you know, obviously, the All Star team is validating. Um, uh, what. I mean, how how did that begin to change your brand? Did, that, did you get to experience entrepreneurship in form of, of endorsements or sponsorships or things along the way? Did that
0: really kind of give you a big uptick when it came to that? I think it's uh, somewhat of a validation that you're at the elite level of player. And one, you know, for you personally, I think you feel it, you understand it. And I think, too, when your peers, other players in the league and, you know, anyone in baseball, fans, um, they, they put you on a little bit higher pedestal than what you were on before. And that, to me, allowed good things to happen. Uh, you have to back it up. You have to continue to perform and you have to continue to play at that level. But it gives you the confidence that you can play at that level. I was never the best player on any team I ever played on. In little league, in high school, in college, in minor leagues, I was never the best player on my team. But what that did, it tells me that I can play at the highest level and play well at the highest level. And it gives you um, that confidence, I guess, more than anything that you deserve to be there and you belong there
1: and I'm, I'm just curious on a personal level is the level of anxiety as a player, like going through the minors and especially early in major leagues, is that really high? Cause I feel like you're one, just especially as a pitcher, you're just one instance of getting shelled away from like
2: being Being out of favor.
1: I mean, (laughs) really like truly out of work. Like you, and you get in, like when you get up to the major leagues that first time and you're still battling, you're like, do I, maybe do I belong here? You've, you're there but yeah. you know as well as the, i mean you could have great five you could spend five years grinding it out in the minors and then you get a chance and it just you're not know, your day
0: it happens to so many <clears> players <throat> i mean players that have tremendous potential and one they get to the major leagues they feel like they have to be better and do things differently than they did to get to the major leagues and that's when they fail that's when you know they they try too hard they try to do things they're not capable of doing and they get out of their game, and then they don't have the success and results. They may last very, uh, for a short time in the major leagues, and they're gone. You never hear, of, you know, from these guys again. But I think it's it's important to understand your strengths. And I think when you understand your tools, your assets, your abilities, and you find ways to get the most out of them, you can play, and you can perform, and you can stay. And that's what some players, I think, have the uh, inability to do. And you talk about anxiety. Um, I felt like, to me, it was a good anxious. It was a good anxiety uh, because I was driven by fear of failure. The worst thing that could happen to me is I could go in, I give up a home run, and we walk off and lose a baseball game. That's the worst thing that can happen to me. Now, if I allow that to affect me tomorrow, it's probably not going to be a very good day. So I've got to erase that. i got to go back out tomorrow and do a better job. But that failure, it, especially as a closer, it was terrible. I mean, it's one of the worst feelings. You, you, you're walking off, especially if it's at home, and the fans let you know it. You, you, you can feel your teammates, uh, you know, they want to support you, but you've let them down. You've let everybody down. And, and that's, that failure was what really kind of—I I got more, I got more down from the failure than I got up from the success. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, if, you,
2: if you win, you just kind of feel like you did your job. And you're supposed the, to the, the day the day right. is, the day is done, right? Right. You're so supposed when you lose, to. especially if it's a heartbreaker, you're just like
0: it's like the field goal kicker in the NFL. Yeah, you
2: know when you miss, no one thanks you. When, when you, you
0: get well, you get a few moments where they carry right. you off the field. Most but, of the yeah. time, you know, you you kick the field goal, you make it. Hey, that's what you're supposed to do. When you miss it, that's when. Remember Lynn Elliott? Oh yeah. I mean, how difficult was that game? What was it against the Colts, right? Indianapolis Colts. Maybe,
2: yeah. Um, He's a Colts
0: fan. Playoff game. You know, I'm okay. a
1: Chiefs fan that cheated on the Chiefs with the Colts <laughs> when Peyton, when I lived in Indianapolis and Peyton Manning was 14 and 0. Okay, it was it was rough. It was a rough year. That was also the year that Chief, the Chiefs won one game. Yeah. So that was tough. I've never cheated on the Royals though. I've been a I really have been a lifetime fan. Which let's actually, and we don't have to get too far. Has by the way been tough to be a royals fan in some years like i've had a lot of love for the royals but they've had uh, documented ups and downs and the royals are a small market team uh, we won the world series went there twice in a row which by the way is pretty unlikely because you're competing it's almost like a startup competing against microsoft yeah or something like that you get these teams like the yankees that have double the payroll and all this different stuff um what's your input for entrepreneurs that might be or or anybody that's trying to climb that unlike fight that unlikely battle that they that they probably won't win.
0: Yeah. And I I fought that battle so many times during my journey, especially during the minor league years on do I want to continue to attempt to to have the winning lottery ticket, so to speak? Do I want to keep gambling that I'm going to make it someday? And 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 that's the hardest thing. It's just staying focused and, and and not looking to go from the bottom step of the ladder to the top step in one step. You got to take it along the way and just be realistic about how 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 far can I get today? How far can I get over the next quarter? How far can I get over the next year? I think that's the biggest thing is just understanding and realizing. And I guess it's setting goals on how to get there. What year was the strike? Ninety four slash ninety five. Okay, it, August twelfth of ninety four through early part of nineteen
1: ninety five. Matt, you might not. Do you even remember that? Very. very the Major League very, Baseball no, literally quit, and the, you said it was August. August twelfth. Yeah, yes. like the uh, that's it, and there was no World Series. There was nothing, and like, how did that? That's you talk about things you can control but can't control. Like, I mean, that would that that had as your business as an athlete. What was the overall... How did you deal with that?
0: Worst six to eight months of my life, to be honest. I was our team's player representative for our Players Association. And And that was in the prime of what you were the... Well, we were... led the league in saves the year before that. Right. And we were a team that had not been a postseason since 1985 when Royals won a World Series. In 1994 was the first season there was going to be a wild card. As you mentioned, Mm -hmm. the postseason didn't happen. So the... We were either going to win our division or win the wild card. I know one of those, I felt really confident that one of those two things was going to happen, which would have been the first time the Royals were in postseason, you know, in almost a decade. Unfortunately, the strike hits, and that was where the downward spiral began for the Royals. And it took 29 years to get back to postseason. So it was really difficult. Uh, That period of time, you know, like you mentioned, we're kind of shutting the business down in hopes of, maintaining you know the structure that all those players before us had, had fought for in our players association or slash our union. When you're on strike you don't get a paycheck. Oh gosh no huh yeah, no. Yeah. And it was you So know, what were they striking for? What was the the free market. We we were we were striking to eliminate the owner's desire to have a salary cap. We felt like as Americans we should earn what our employer's willing to pay us. And ultimately they the players won that battle. Correct, and that's been a hot. If anybody, if you can say anybody won, the players won because it 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 essentially was a status quo agreement. There were some big losses with that. A lot of people think that's what
1: killed baseball in Montreal. Oh yeah, like the Montreal Expos were fine. They were finally for the first time ever like doing crushing it. They were in first
0: place. They and were the interesting thing is they had the lowest payroll in baseball, but it had the best winning percentage in baseball.
1: And they were killing it. And then they went on strike, and after that ended, the fans never came back. Yeah. Like that following year, like it was bad. Like you would see like a thousand people at the game, maybe. But is that is and that then,
2: then they moved to then they moved to Washington? Is that but, change uh, ultimately what got us to where we are today? Though where teams like the Yankees and Giants spend twice as much money as the
0: Royals. There's more revenue sharing now, so. It's it's interesting. Instead of a instead of a cap, there's a luxury tax, which is somewhat of a prohibitor on team spending above a certain threshold level. Okay. Teams like
1: the Royals get a rebate, basically, from these bigger teams. That you know, like I think Major League Baseball acknowledges that the, the Yankees draw more players when they come to Kaufman than some other teams, and there is a revenue share. I don't know what that yep.
0: is, but. The tough part about it is that all the national revenues are shared equally into the central fund, that teams split 30 by 30. And then the, the local revenue from radio and television, that's where the big disparity is because the Yankees won't share much of any of their local television and radio uh, rights fees. Which is high. They draw, Which, they they have a huge TV contract. Ginormous yeah. compared to you know smaller market clubs right. like the you know, there are several small market clubs. We're one of the smallest, if not the smallest, but there's also Pittsburgh and Cincinnati sure. and Milwaukee. And, you know, there are a lot of other ones along the way that uh, face the same struggles and battles on the three of those teams you just mentioned have been have been postseason
1: contenders in right. the last five years though. So they're finding ways to, if to you do get it, it done, right, yeah.
0: If you do it right. I don't care if you're the Yankees or the Royals. You have to draft the right players. You have to develop the right players and you have to find ways to keep those players. When the when the Yankees went on their run back in the you know mid to late nineties, you know, the majority of their team, they were not players they went on and spent, you know, ginormous dollars on getting as free agents. They were the Derek Jeters and you know, the Andy Pettits and you know, the Mariano Rivera's and the Jorge Posadas. They were the players that they had drafted. Right. And they developed, and they kept those players under contract, and they, they won by having a good system. Now, it just so happened to be that they were the Yankees, and if they did lose a player uh, due to an injury, they had the financial wherewithal to go out and get somebody to replace him, whereas if that happens in a smaller market club, it's really difficult to do so. Well,
2: and that's And that's where the Royals found success a few years ago, right, was we've done a good job of bringing guys in like Perez and all these right. people, Ventura, bringing them up. Well, well, Hosmer, Hosmer, Mousakis,
1: Salvi, like they had a lot of homegrown players. And by the way, that's with baseball, like a lot less. It's a, you look at NBA and NFL, their drafts are, are, I don't want to say a sure thing, but they have a much higher rate of success. Right. And that's why there's how many rounds are there in the minor league draft in the in the baseball draft? There used to be like fifty. It used or, to be
0: fifty rounds and they don't draft as long anymore. And sometimes this is as, as many. What's rounds. the point
1: after you because, gonna draft because, fifty dude, players? Because, yeah, because you have five levels that have twenty six to thirty people on every team, and that's and people wash out like every year. Wow. It's, yeah, it's replenishment.
0: Well, one one interesting you know, tidbit on the fiftieth rounds. Gerard Dyson, who was a key player in a yep. Royals success, yep. he was round, a 50th yeah. round
1: draft, draft. Wow. Yeah. And those are like toss ups. Um, They're throw ins. Yeah. I you mean, know? you get probably get a one dollar signing bonus for that. <laughs> you, get,
2: you, get zero. you get nothing. <laughs> I, would think, I would think by round 50, you're like, oh, shit, I don't care. We just need a center fielder. pick one.
1: That, that's probably how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Dyson, this, fine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that guy's fast. Pick him. <laughs> we'll take that guy.
1: OK, so now let, let's get towards the end of now you're um um you're in your later in your late 30s you talk about leaving on your own terms and stuff
0: like that did that happen for you it did i i have the good fortune of saying i was never fired from any job in baseball Now i was sent congratulations to the, i was yeah. sent i was sent to the minor leagues but that's you know essentially part of the process but i was never it's like going to training i was never got thing, I, you know. I i never received a release i released myself and i always felt that it's really uncommon it's very uncommon yeah. But uh, I felt there were two people who would tell me when it's time to release myself, and the first was my wife. We had a daughter who was getting ready to start high school, and I had a terrible season of of my 17 professional seasons. The first 16 were either really good or or, or pretty good seasons. My 17th season was terrible. That, that was, was the last one. I, it was my last one. So the two people would go tell me, my wife and the hitters would go tell me it's time to release myself. So I released myself after that season. We talked early about the role aids. How do you spell relief? It used to be R-O-L-A-I-D-S. My last season, people have these signs say, how do you spell release? Or how do you spell relief? (inaudible) Retirement. (laughs) Retirement. So I think that's
1: a, uh, if you don't mind talking about that, I think that, you know, all right. So I know some people that are, that are professional musicians and athletes and stuff like that. And there's a world of noise and it's way worse now than it would have, you know, when you played, there wasn't the internet. Well, there was, but there wasn't 10 million chat rooms and Twitter and all this social media beating you up. I mean, how, how, God, I don't even know if I could handle that now. Uh, So how do you, what, what, what advice I felt like you always were a class act and still are and all that some people aren't how do you how do you how did you learn how to deal with that kind of sometimes barbaric feedback
0: coming your way i think uh it goes back to my my mom and my dad to start with just uh the way i was uh the way i was brought up but i always felt like treating people uh fairly was important Uh, to me i looked at everybody who came out to the ballpark and sat in, that, in, that, in those seats. Those were the people responsible for me having a job. And if I could walk out to the bullpen and I see, you know, a half dozen kids that have baseballs or cards that they want to get signed, I've got to take time to do that. I owe that to that fan who's there uh, supporting me and my sport and my career. I owed it to them. And I, th- I think every day you had to have the mindset, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I may have given up a home run to lose a game last night. I can't let that affect me today. I have to go out to that, that 10-year-old kid with a baseball card that wants to sign. I've got to sign it. I don't care how bad I felt about my performance the night before. I've got to be ready for today. I've got to be ready for today. And even during that last season I played, I had some good moments. But the majority of my moments were nowhere near as good as I wanted them to be. And I just knew that it was time. Health was a big factor. I had a had a hip injury, which eventually that hip was replaced. and um, but I knew I couldn't keep performing at the level I needed to perform at and satisfy myself and the fans. So I can't compare my
1: story to yours, but a couple of years ago, I took a bit of a leap of faith and decided I didn't want to do the business I'd been doing for eight years. And Matt knew me at the time and mm-hmm. be like, what are you going to do next? And I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. I mean, how many times did I say that? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot and trying yeah. to figure it out. So now you, now baseball's over. And you're 38. Now, Matt, you went through a similar thing because you exited Vent Solutions. You weren't even 30 yet. I was 29. Yeah. So you get this. You're like, hey, I've made some money. It's still here. I'm looking at it. Now, what next? I mean, how? Well, I'd like to hear from both of you guys actually about, um, I mean, how did, did you take some time to figure it out? And we'll get into some of the stuff you, you've done after, but you you get some choices. You can just hang out. Or maybe do something else? Like, where? How did you get that figured out?
0: Well, my last game was on a Sunday, early October of 1999. And on the next Monday, I was at the office uh, at the radio station, kind of rolling out my sleeves and getting ready to learn more and more about the radio industry. So I didn't really let any grass grow under my feet. I just went right into my next career. So at that time, was 810 a thing? Or was it all new then? We... We had just acquired 810 and we start out, we purchased uh, Well, small... let's back up. So okay.
1: you say we, so you're one of the original investors or owners or founders yes. or whatever you want to call it in 810 AM sports radio here in Kansas City.
0: Yes. We had uh, about a half dozen guys who put together some money to buy 1510 in 1997, which I was still playing during that time. So uh, I was more of a, maybe a silent, more of an investor type.
1: So you were doing entrepreneurial stuff prior yes. to exiting MLB. Yes. Okay.
0: And then when I retired in 99, we had, we had just, you know, a few months earlier acquired the, the 810 signal. Okay. And uh, we were trying to grow that. And, you know, it was just somewhat in our... Was impact. it already sports radio before? When we bought it, it was not. Okay. No, we, we, we transferred our programming from the 1510 signal over to the 810 signal because 1510... Uh, was a signal was a daytime only signal, which meant at nighttime you couldn't hear the station. We had to power it down to the point you couldn't even hear it. So we were selling inventory like crazy, and we just had nowhere to put it. That's why we acquired the bigger 810 signal. It's so that was. Just, but
1: uh, by the way, explain hmm. that because this yeah. was interesting. Uh, so apparently, AM travels way better at night, so you have to dial down your power.
0: Right. We How pa- does that work? We power again? down from 50,000 watts to 5,000 watts. Otherwise, 50,000 watts. Would, you would hear the fifty thousand watt station? You would hear all over the country. I mean, you, it would it would blast to Alaska, it would blast to Florida, it'd go really? everywhere, and it would interfere with all those other Isn't eight, that weird? eight I ten never signals knew that. everywhere. Yeah.
1: So every day you have to change the yeah, it's programmed. Wow. You turn yes. it up to eleven during the day and you
2: turn it down to one at night. So, wow, yeah, yeah, it's kind of wild. I didn't realize that's how that worked. But eight ten has one of the most powerful signals.
0: Right, and a lot of that's due to the terrain here in the Midwest. You know, there are not a, as many no mountains, hills, or mountains knock down that signal. That's why I said if uh, at nighttime, if that signal weren't knocked down by a a, a mountain or uh, you know some something, it would just keep traveling. And, and that's and so why is that different than fifteen ten? Fifteen ten that that's why it has to power down so much at night so it won't interfere with other 1510s around. And this is all set up by the FCC. They have a grid. You can't
2: overrun someone else's 810 in like Pueblo, Colorado. Right. But, but was the difference is there weren't any – a lot of 810s in the region, but there were a lot of 1510s. You know, so because of that, that was a limiting of the, the power of the antenna?
0: The FCC has a grid which has all the frequencies throughout the United States. And, and think about this. Going back when radio was you know started, it was it was there for – Information. It was there for the government to spread information and to get it, you know, in in natural disasters and things of that nature. That's what it was primarily there for. And then it became more of a commercial entity where people were now playing music and talking about, you know, sports and politics and other things on, on radio. And it, it just evolved. But the FC still, they are the governing body over what the frequencies can all do.
1: Matt, after the Venn solution exit, and I, you know, you've addressed this before, but I can't
2: remember, but did you immediately start something or did you take some time to kind of figure out what? I mean, similar to his story, I went right into Stackify. I mean, it was like, you know, immediate. I I mean, I, I was trying to figure out, so I left Venn solutions at the very end of 2011. So like you get gets like November, December of 2011. I was thinking about what I was going to name Stackify. I was already thinking a lot about it, trying to figure it all out like before I even left
1: when when we, when Jill and I exited the ticket company, I mean, I literally two weeks later I was in Vegas working that working at urban necessities and helping them with a lot of their stuff and kind of coming back and forth. And we had actually, that we had been building gigabook for two years Mm
2: -hmm. planning to exit at some point. I think the key there is you got to find something else you're passionate about. Yeah. I hadn't hadn't necessarily found that yet though. I was still feeling around. It took me uh, a year. I mean, I told people it's like, there's no way I'm going to stay home all day with my wife and kids. Like yeah. There's just no way. <laughs> I got to find something to do. Well, and I'm I, not going golfing every day.
0: Right. So I think certain people are just driven. They're, they're wired that way. Yeah. They, they want to, I, I feel like I want to do something every day for the rest of my life. And some some days I'm doing it for a paycheck, some days I'm not. I started doing sports uh, television broadcasting 10 years ago, and I had no idea that I'd want to do it till I'm, you know, 80 years old. But I, I love it and I want to keep doing it.
1: I was thinking about that on the drive here today because, um, you know, like is your is that just loving being
0: involved with the game and being around it? Is that part of the fun? I think so. I think, you know, you guys know you you kind of gravitate toward a particular industry, sure, and that, that's kind of in your blood. And baseball's in my blood. Uh, there's I, worse things to do for me.
1: There'd be worse things I could do with my day than sit around and talk about baseball. I mean, that, right. that's not the worst, I mean, it's, that's it's, not
0: the worst life, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Um, it's, you know, you, and I, I define work as when you're on someone else's schedule. If you're on someone else's schedule, you're working. Regardless I've been, of how much... I haven't worked in a really long time though. <laughs> but you know, with baseball, it's, it's a very, it's a grind. And the travel. Travel is a and... grind. I mean, fortunately we travel, very nice. The best way you can travel: charter flights and sure. nice hotels. And still travel, man. It's, it's still travel. Yeah. And and you're you're away from home. And uh, it's
1: weird hours too, because like a yeah, baseball's you're... done at ten or ten thirty, and maybe who knows. Depending on the time you zone, get on a flight at yeah. one in the morning, or
0: flying somewhere else, and you got to do something the next morning or the next day. Well, if you're going that. east and you play a night mm-hmm. game and you got to, you know, leaving afterwards, you're going to get there in the middle of the night. You're going to get to Detroit or to New York or Boston, wherever you're going to go. You're going to get there somewhere in the middle of the night.
1: Regardless. So, so with eight, eight ten sports, and you've been involved with that for twenty years now. Yes. Um, that's, I mean, radios changed and different stuff. Would you, would you look at that and say, this is something that's been really successful and I, and I'm really glad I did it. Or are you, and I know that's a weird question to ask someone that's still involved with the business, but I mean, I look at some of the things that I've done and still do. And I'm like, oh, it's
0: been okay. Well, I got involved <laughs> kind of like the, this podcast right now.
2: Yeah. It's I been got involved. exactly
0: okay. Yeah. When I was, um, originally asked to invest in sports radio, I, I asked the question, why, why would I do this? And the answer was we were the largest market in the United States without full-time sports radio. We had a, a, an AM station that had three hours from three to six, Monday through Friday. But here we got the chiefs, we got the Royals, we have the Kansas Jayhawks, Missouri Tigers, Kansas state wildcats. We got all kinds of high school sports here. We didn't have a sports station to broadcast 24 seven about sports. And I'm a, I'm a sports fan. I'm not a huge sports fan, that I had done all the vanilla, you know, mutual fund uh, stock investments during the course of my career to kind of build a nice financial foundation. But this was my first opportunity to get outside that box. And I just thought it really makes sense to do it. And I'm so glad I did it. I mean, it's probably the best investment I've ever made. And it's something that's uh, fortunately, we've, we've, you know, we've, we've built a really nice company. We're mom and pops. I mean, we're not the you know we're not the big conglomerate that has the national advertising that goes to Detroit and sells to you know to the uh, you know to to Ford you know in Detroit. We go down the street. And we sell to the Ford dealer here to, to buy our advertising. So it's we're a lot different, uh, but it's a it's a it's well. A, and
2: how has that changed now? Because it's still an AM radio station, right? AM yeah. is not near as popular anymore. I actually think my car doesn't support AM. My Tesla. I think it only sports FM and yeah, satellite. And my... actually, it actually doesn't support satellite either. <clears throat> but I can stream it on TuneIn. You can't get satellite radio in a Tesla? Nope. It's streaming a little, instead. Seems a little, oh, I see. So I, see, I have I see, Spotify okay. and I okay, have sure, sure. Slacker radio. All got it, got it. Yeah. But I can listen to 810 via TuneIn. Right. On TuneIn, which you can stream like any radio station. So I can actually stream it
0: that way. Or you can stream our app. We have a you know, with mobile app. And, with
2: Bluetooth. You and can that's, what, it.
0: that's what I've done the most with our company over the last several years, just try to focus on ways to grow our revenue yeah. on the digital side of our business and uh, as I mentioned I'm a computer science uh, major and that's what I've really I've always enjoyed you know that side of of life and um, try to implement that into our business it's been it's been rewarding by the, so way, that, by the it, way,
1: speaking of being terrible at digital advertising, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought
2: to you by FullScale.io. <laughs> <laughs> I supposed to say that in the beginning, sorry. But I mean, my question there is like, so has that really changed the business as like AM and things go to satellite radio, all that stuff? How has that kind of impacted the business?
0: Well, w- the interesting part is re- whether you're on AM or FM, to get local sports, you have to listen to us. You can't get it. Anywhere else. And when okay. you say local
1: sports, that's everything from like Rockhurst high school football maybe or I don't know what you've got.
0: But Well, like an example, like on satellite radio. Because the Royals aren't on 810, are they? No. Okay. No. Like on satellite radio, you can hear the national host talking about national sports. Oh, I
2: see. Gotcha. But gotcha. if
0: you want local yeah. talk, if you want to hear about our team, so to
2: speak. You can listen to Mike and Mike in the morning, but that's not the same as. No, exactly. Well, that's. And I, you can I, listen to Mike and Mike on ESPN radio. Via your station. Exactly. So, oh, I see. ESPN I see. Kansas
0: City. So we have the national side cover as well as a local, but the, the, you know, the one. It's not Mike and Mike anymore. One of the mics left.
1: Ah. He bailed. He it shows you how he, much he I might He it. might not have liked the other Mike. Uh, who knows? It's like the Matt and Matt in the morning. <laughs> yeah. The, the, you know, you know, you know what though? The, and so we had a previous episode with Bob Fesco from, he's a, does daytime talk dude that guy's there at like four in the morning and they have a imagine this being a three and a half hour show or yeah. something like that and by the way we can move this around this isn't live there's like a i mean we can cancel we can reschedule we reschedule this actually like we did. you look at just like simple stuff like that and you know podcasting it offers a little bit of flexibility but with that podcasting is also forced radio to well a get into the podcast game, and right. then also like it's 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 there it's competitive i mean, if you're listening to this mm-hmm. instead of radio, then
0: technically yeah that's, that's a really good yeah. really good point does eight ten do anything with podcasts? we do yeah we do. Okay. very um we do a lot with podcasts, and that's something that you you can hear it on you know when you're on a treadmill at nine o'clock the night it might have been the interview this morning at you know ten a m but you can download it and and listen to it. And I, I tell Matt earlier we we have a significant amount of downloads. We do about four hundred twenty five thousand downloads per month. He said four hundred twenty five when we first sat down, and I said, Jeff, that's not a whole lot.
1: <laughs> and I th- sat there for a second. You mean thousand, right? Yeah. Yeah. But so I gave a presentation on how to launch a podcast last week for Ed Global Entrepreneurship Week, and one of the things that I told people is so like this episode has or any of our episodes have a much, 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 much longer lifetime value, mm-hmm. uh, as a, like a, a digital property right. or asset than news for Anything the most part news because no one yeah. wants, no one's going to go back. Well, someone might, but it's probably rare. I would imagine I've talked to people that work at radio stations that are TV stations that also have a podcast, um, which I was really surprised because we get as about as much listenership as the one that was, I was talking to, I was like, man, that's like, Maybe maybe good for us, not great for you or whatever. But if they don't listen to that within two days, it's yeah. like basically unheard. Yeah, like right. they have about a forty-eight hour window well, like, and
2: really a twenty-four hour window. Be like using DVR to to record, you know, last Leno or last Letterman year, or something, last right? Last year like, Super Bowl.
1: I'm not gonna watch Letterman yeah. from last week today. Like you might if there was someone that could be a little a popular different. It could be a popular yeah. guest, but you're not gonna listen to the whole show. No. Yeah, so. There's definitely like a very aggressive half-life short shelf when it life. comes to yeah. that. And then, and those are the advice I was giving people. I was like, you got to look at things like digital assets or properties because every month there's a really measurable, 100% of our episodes, uh, you know, today as we're recording this, I think the 216th came out, but every month all of our episodes get regular listenership, like f- fairly decent amount. And yeah. that's what's helped that, that count grow building but, up a library. Yeah, sure. And that's actually the way we look at it is our feed as a library. Sure. And that's why we, we even kind of take the approach of <laughs> that We changed our, our title formats. So you could have a better understanding as you scroll through hundreds of lines of what we were talking about, rather than just like a business's name with a clever spelling and, yeah. and a name that people didn't recognize. and, Um, That's what's been interesting. And by the way, for those of you in the 190 countries that have listened to Startup Hustle, we should say thanks, right, Matt? Especially the guy from Russia. We haven't talked about him for a while. Oh, dude, the guy. Yeah, Yeah. we have a guy. that. And by the way, I hope your English language skills are continuing to improve thanks to our podcast. (laughs) And And the guy with the chicken hustle. Yeah. I haven't heard from him. That's no. Edward. Yeah. 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 I wonder if he, hopefully that went well and he's just busy. We have some interesting listeners.
0: Is Charlie Hustle mm-hmm. listen?
1: No, but, uh, no, I've actually, uh, um, he's, we've, we've had to reschedule. You talking about Chase? That is actually, his name is Chase, right? Yeah. I was
0: talking about okay. Pete Rose, Charlie oh, Hustle.
1: I don't know. <laughs> Pete, if you're listening, um, <clears throat> we'd love to have you in on the show. So we, we have a lot to talk about Pete,
0: a whole lot. Um,
1: Now, speaking of which is, uh, and this has been a really interesting, uh, thanks for coming in. This has been an interesting perspective. We try to get all angles of entrepreneurship. Um, you're one of your, uh, broadcast partners is a friend of ours and a friend of our entrepreneurship community. That's Joel Goldberg. Um, Joel's created quite a robust speaking business over the last few years. Um, He's worked really hard. He has, he has. And he gets out there and grinds and it's really going, going well for him. Um, what other types of interest? And and I think that's a a fairly common path for athletes or, or sports figures to go down. What are some other popular entrepreneurship
0: avenues that athletes, uh, explore? Well, I think unfortunately so many athletes kind of get, I don't know, asked to be part of opportunities that maybe are really, really high risk. Maybe and, not a lot of money and, well, they involved, fail a like lot. like yeah. opening yeah. a bar. Yeah. Right. Opening a bar or a restaurant. Or a yeah. restaurant. Yeah. You know, you you see that I see that so many times. I mean it's it's a really, really uh you know, I think for the first year or so you got your name up there and it's gotta feel pretty good. But eventually uh if you're not a restaurateur, the the chance of that happening long-term success to me is minimal. So when Kevin Lockett was in here, he was talking about
1: that and he was looking back at a restaurant that he was involved in when he played for the chiefs. And he goes, looking back at it. I realized I was, it was very rare that that was really successful (laughs) because like so many other people had tried that his peers had, had tried to do that kind of stuff. Um, And major league baseball isn't as high of a number, but there are real documented um, statistics that, Um, you know, like I think the average NBA player goes broke, like two, like 60% of them within five years Mm -hmm. of leaving the league and stuff like that. And do you think that that's, um, a product of still living a major league or a a pro athlete lifestyle without the paycheck coming in, bad
0: investments? Like, I think probably a combination and and every, you know, every story is very different. Every player and every athlete is different. Um the thing that I've learned is a lot of players who come into sports with maybe a tremendous opportunity financially early on might be a huge signing bonus. It might be, you know, they hit it big uh, during their careers. But when you retire from professional sports, you're probably going to be in your twenties. Sometimes you're going to be in your thirties, but you've got a significant period of your life to plan for financially. And you know, money does not come with instructions. So if you, if you don't have some good uh, people around you uh, helping you uh, figure out what, what to do, then it can be tough. And the other thing that's really the thing I've seen impact players as much as anything has been divorce. You know, they're, mm. they're, 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 they're happily married. Wife's happy. Got the big paycheck coming in. Everything's great. Suddenly, no more paychecks, no more, you know, private jets and no more of that lifestyle. Wives go somewhere else. So suddenly you're, you know, half everything you made is, is gone.
1: Interesting. So I never really thought about that component of it. I mean, I know the lifestyle thing is a big change for a lot of people. And then I think just like you mentioned something you're really passionate about doing and now you can't do it. Right and you know just like literal love of the game stuff and you know there's a lot of document case document documented cases of just just depression and anxiety like it's a change in lifestyle and you mentioned you're young you're trying to learn how to cope with that and and deal with that how are leagues now uh trying to do more to teach their athletes how to
0: not squander their financial means? I don't know that the leagues are. I think maybe certain teams do. Um, I think the leagues try to stay out of that for the most part as much as they can. I think they uh, allow the agents uh, to, you know, hopefully be certified and be you know, reputable and be good people to help their, their players, their clients understand that financial planning is important when you're bringing in significant income. I mean, you would think that certain athletes that have made so much money, there's no way that you could spend that kind of money, but you see it happen a lot. I mean, you really do. Guys that have made enormous amounts of money, uh, and maybe not just in you know baseball that we're you know f- that I've experienced, but what I've seen other sports and other athletes in other areas, uh, unfortunately, end up with nothing.
1: There's a really interesting ESPN Thirty for Thirty. You've probably seen it. It's called Broke. And it's, it's like a 45 minute documentary and it's just literally going through some of the biggest doc, like Evander Holyfield had made hundreds of millions of dollars. At one point he had a 59,000 square foot mansion Hmm. and didn't give consideration to the fact that it would cost a million dollars a year just to maintain and upkeep that. And then like, but I think the main thing that it seemed like was an issue is people not keeping their finger on the pulse of their own finances. Like they had everyone else managing it. And then all of a sudden they finally go to look at their bank account and they're like, Oh, wow. So uh, there's been a lot of people taking a draw here. So Matt, if you could keep all your money in my bank account, I will manage (laughs) it. I will make decisions for you. I'm going to need to take some for myself, but trust me, it'll be there for you later. But I, I think bad investments was one of the main things. And so many people, it's like I think it's important to learn what you're good at in life. And, you know, like I'm not trying to be an a pro athlete. I would have loved to have done that, but continuing to try to pursue that, it's just not my thing. Right. It's and not, I, it's not I, what I what I was gonna get to do. So sometimes if you've been an athlete now you're twenty five, like unless you have a background in business or something like that, or maybe really a strong team around you. Yeah, you're gonna learn some things. So
0: you see a lot of players that have other people that are dependent on them as well, and maybe not just family, but the kind yeah, of the cling sure. on people. You know, the yeah, people yeah. who are always around, always wanting to be uh, on the jet, at the, all the yeah. parties with them. And well, the they're parties. taking twenty people with
1: them. Right. So Matt, I also want to be a part of your entourage. No problem. So well, Jeff, thanks again for coming in. And uh, for those of you locally, um, I, I, it's funny. I I was just so excited to have a Royals legend on. I didn't even. Give our own pitch, but you can check out some of the pictures we took here in the studio at the at Star Puzzle Podcast on Instagram, the Instagram account. You can see our talking heads on the YouTube channel. And TikTok. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I'm still kind of figuring that out. I'm, I'm I'm wondering if that's like the lowest value making TikTok videos, it might be the lowest value activity I can come up with. I'm trying to, I think that sleeping. is way more valuable than any time I've spent on how about a video of you sleeping yeah and then I'll put a soundtrack on it and like a a little cartoon rain cloud yeah um but yeah with that and if you get a chance also you know go check out stackify.com which we mentioned gigabook.com those are businesses that Matt and I are involved with and if you're here in Kansas City tune in listen to 810 sports you guys uh don't you guys have a restaurant or was that a different failed
0: it did it wasn't actually ours, but our name was on it. Okay. They just paid us for the licensing, but Re- it failed. Restaurant's <laughs> tough. So, Jeff, um,
1: we'd like to end our episodes of Startup Hustle with what we call the Founders Freestyle, which is really just a chance for you to say about whatever you want to the... Startup hustle listeners or entrepreneurs in general it could be advice, could be anything you want to say um, or anything you feel that we left unresolved during this episode.
0: Well, since we're essentially discussion revolving around entrepreneurship, I think it's it's important for people to do what they want to do. And oftentimes that's the best way to do it. I, and I think the, the, the to me, the best thing about being an entrepreneur is you're working for yourself. Yep. And if you're working for yourself, you're probably having fun. So it makes life good.
2: I think follow up to what we talked about earlier. I think the key is you got to be passionate about whatever it is you're doing. From that five years grinding through the minor league, you got to be passionate about playing baseball or you would have gave it up a long time ago. You're like, screw this. You know, yep. it's not worth all the work um to you know what we do now we got to be passionate about what we do it's got to make us happy it's got to be enjoyable or there's just no way you keep grinding through the bad days and, and nobody ever sees those bad days um but you know we we all wake up once a month once a week whatever and say why are we doing this i mean we, we all do that and if you're not passionate about it then
1: you won't get back to work you know i think i i'm going to use my freestyle moment to parlay the concept of professional athlete entrepreneurship into personal brand. And I, and you know, like you were always Jeff Montgomery, you're still Jeff Montgomery. Um, same with Matt or myself, I've always looked at everything I do as, as being in the business of being me and the things that I do in association with that are, Are ancillary, you know, like I could, we might sell full scale or quit doing the podcast or do something different, but I'm still Matt DeCourcy and I put a lot of um, effort and time into that because in the end, much like you making the all-star team or different stuff, that's what there are. That's what gives people confidence in giving you that next contract or that next deal or wanting to do business or trusting that, that you're going, that your advice might not suck. Or just different things like that. Um, I, I think overall, whether you're an athlete, whether you're an entrepreneur or a startup founder, or anything, you are likely to be well endowed with all the doubt you need. No doubt. I mean, it is. Uh, <laughs> and it is. And I think I want this to be considered to be very, very, very encouraging because if you are doubtful about your ability to get it done, take a seat on the bus. Because everyone from a 13-year major league player, three-time all-star, I'm sure you had a hell of a lot of doubt. Matt, you've gone through it. I've gone through it. Like, I have had moments. You talk about wanting to quit. Oh, man. Like, it's easy to want to do it, and either you do or you don't. Just make sure you feel comfortable with whichever choice you make. I'm not saying yours is right or wrong or one
2: way or the other, but, you know, sometimes you just got to keep on keeping on. Like I said, we get up, you know, every week sometimes are like, where are we doing this shit? Oh, uh, yeah. It's just part of it. Why am I doing this? I don't know. You fired me earlier. So I talking. did not fire you. You and said I'm out.
1: Do you have to get paid no. to get fired?
2: Am I going to get unemployment? I'm not going to fire a volunteer, dude. <laughs> oh, that's man. that's
1: basically what you are. Can <laughs> I see your contract?
2: Do you Wait. have an agent? <sighs> Jeff. Jeff. Oh, yeah. man.
1: <laughs> I feel outclassed now. Yeah. This guy... He's going to throw you some curveballs. Ah. It's not good. Anyway, see y'all next time.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarcy and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startup hustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.